The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I actually gave an extra welcome, and that's a clue. Welcome, welcome. We have two guests today. I have a buzz on the street from Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, however you like to say it, born 1964, an American technology and retail entrepreneur and investor. You know him as the founder, the chairman, the CEO of Amazon.com, the world's largest online shopping retailer. And here's the quote, a company shouldn't get addicted to being shiny because shiny doesn't last. Okay, now you know you're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, so let's just leave that shiny word on the table. What's going on here? New U.S. businesses make up nearly all net new job creation, haha, and 20% of gross job creation. But there's a lot of hype about something we're going to call the emerging startup ecosystem and government support. Where is the money coming from? Where is the funding? Who is basically giving a handout or a leg up or an arm around these new businesses. What's the reality check? Well, let's go back to my word shiny in the Jeff Bezos quotes. Governments are pouring millions of dollars into shiny, cool, hip places. And government venture funds are investing in, quote, unquote, the best local. Well, it sounds great. It sounds like it's supportive of the local culture and local business people. But sometimes they're ignoring how well the product or the service of these new companies is a fit in the local market or the bigger global market. I can just say stop in the name of love, quoting the Supremes. Successful startups are not built this way. Successful startups are built through careful iteration, trying a concept, doing over and over till they get it right, as well as a laser-like focus on the customer base. Who do they want to attract? Where are they local, global? What does the company have to offer? Not a big splash. Well, startup ecosystems are grown the same way. It takes time. It takes expertise. It takes patience. So we have a panel of two experts that they're so good, that's all we need today. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their quotes. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome a young lady named Colleen Hardwick. She is the founder and CEO of a company called Place Speak. P-L-A-C-E-S-P-E-A-K, one word with a capital S in the middle. That's the way I was told. As well as our regular panelist, Dave Katona, go to market for the SAP Startup Focus in the Americas. So let me welcome Colleen with the quote she sent me from Henry Ford. You all know Henry Ford, American industrialist, founder of the Ford Motor Company and sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. He didn't invent the car. He didn't invent the assembly line, but he developed and manufactured talking about right fit with the right market 
He developed and manufactured the first automobile that many middle-class Americans could afford. So he took the automobile from an expensive curiosity into a practical conveyance that would and convenience that would profoundly impact the landscape of the 20th century and introduce the Model T. Okay, here's the quote Colina selected from the vast lore of Henry Ford quotes. If I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Colleen Hardwick, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me, Bonnie. We are delighted. I have to give that responsibility to Dave Katona and his partner in crime, Christina Sosa, at SAP Startup Focus, and I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. Colleen, tell us a little bit about how you picked this quote from Henry Ford, and uh, in a few minutes I will ask you to give us an overview of your very, very fascinating career path and, and what you've done as an entrepreneur. But Colleen, Henry Ford, our topic today, let me give the topic today so everybody knows, Beyond Tax Incentives. Governments and startup ecosystems. That's our keyword, startup ecosystems. Colleen, what does Henry Ford have to say about all this? Well, the the quote um, which which you you stated there is really about innovation and the fact that people don't know what they don't know. Um, all they can do is refer it back to what they are familiar with, and this this is one of the trickiest aspects. Uh, you talked about the need to continuously iterate products to meet the needs of consumers or or their audience. And that's challenging as you're trying to innovate and create new things because people really don't know what it is that they want. Um, Sometimes they do, obviously. If if you've got something that's a a pretty straight-ahead product, uh, you just keep making uh, iterative uh, improvements on it. But when you're trying to do something that's never been done before, there's enormous challenge that comes with that as you need to educate people. And another book that I read along the line was Crossing the Chasm, which you're probably familiar with, that suggests you start off with innovators and early adopters, and it takes that time that you need to cross the chasm to get to um, mass use. And that's kind of saying the same thing. You've got to get to the point where people understand what the innovation is uh, so that you can get it to the next step. And often the, the support that you can get through through government programs which are focused on innovation can help you to get there. Very interesting, Colleen. I'm going to ask you a question before I bring on Dave Katona. Uh, the idea of not knowing exactly what people want, could that apply to the startup as well? Saying, well, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, Colleen, just to give a, a, a reference point here. And somebody will come in and say, I just developed this new such and such. And then they'll say, and by the way, I have a line of T-shirts with my logo. And by the way, I just started a new line of cottage cheese that's going to have this, this little light bulb in the corner because I'm going to reinvent the way the world sees through my innovative light bulb. So is it sometimes the startup that doesn't have the focus as well as the customer doesn't know what they want or the prospect? What do you think? Well, sure. I mean, the product market fit is, is a huge challenge. Um, it, again, depending on, it, it, that's just a general statement. It's always a challenge. Uh, but it's even more complex when you've got something that is truly, uh, uh, you know, uh, thinking outside of the box, which uh, brings me back to the Henry Ford quote. Um, if you know that it is, is a T-shirt or it is a line of something, it's something that's known in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm really getting at are, are are game changers, are, are innovations that stand apart and that people can't understand them until they, they 
get educated because, again, it doesn't exist, and it, how can people understand what doesn't exist yet? Very well put. Thank you. The future is here. It's almost here. Whoops, the future's here, and now it's the past because it was my last sentence. Thank you, Colleen. Very interesting, and we'll talk to you about your background and your company in just a moment, but I don't want to leave this gentleman out in the cold. It's Dave Katona. He's here just about every time, and Dave is working on the SAP Startup Focus Team. So Dave meets very interesting people like Colleen Hardwick and other entrepreneurs who have that laser-like focus. So Dave has sent me a quote this time from President and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The quote was said in 1932. Roosevelt, by the way, lived from 1882 to 1945. We love to call him FDR here in the U.S. He served as the 32nd president of the U.S. from 1933 until his death in 1945. What's so unique about him, among many things, is that FDR won a record four presidential elections and emerged as a central figure in world events during the mid-20th century. He's often rated by scholars alongside George Washington and Abraham Lincoln as one of the three greatest U.S. presidents. I don't think anybody's topped that one in a long time. And here is the quote Dave has selected. The country needs, and unless I mistake its temper, the country demands bold, persistent experimentation. It's common sense to take a method and try it. If it fails, admit it frankly and try another. But above all, try something. Dave Katona, how have you been the past couple of weeks? I've been fantastic, Bonnie. It's great to be back. Thank you very much. Well, we couldn't do the show without you. That's the way it's looking this season. So, Dave, tell me, you're a big fan of the history and the lore of FDR, and how did you find his quote? Well, it's, it's interesting uh, you mentioned that because uh, the topic of the, uh, of the show this week really made me reflect, and given what we'll call it, uh, given the recent change in uh, our uh, uh, you know, U.S. leadership, I, and uh, some of the recent experiences I've had in working with uh, great startups like PlaySpeak and others, uh, it, I, I really began to reflect on, you know, who are some of our, our, our presidents and, and leaders that have really looked at uh, what I call pure innovation um, mm-hmm. in, in a position of power. And FDR has always been one of those just fascinating uh, figures in in American history as a president that had really taken a look at what the country needed and what was best for the country and really looked at really innovative projects and problem solving and I really feel he kind of represents in some of the things that he accomplished in, in his presidencies um, and, and I'll, I'll, that's plural, right, because of mm-hmm. uh, how long he was president, um, that he really represents that governments and even cities, you know, for that matter, really need to take a look at, you know, how innovation can be driven the same way that FDR innovated, you know, back in the 30s. And that, you know, in today's world, um, in this modern digital world, you know, we can harness almost that same inspiration um, at, at the local, you know, uh, and, and federal level and, and really crossing over uh, between that, what I call that public to private, uh, you know, innovative partnership um, with, with startups. And it just, uh, it's kind of an inspiring, uh, you know, uh, quote that I, I think everyone in every public office really needs to take a look at and, and put on the, their wall. 
um, as as we're in this highly politicized environment today, and take a step back and look at how do we uh, how do we really drive innovation across the board. Very well put. It's interesting that a quote from um, Dave, let's see, 1932, he said it, that's a, an easy 70, 80, 85, yeah, 85 years ago, still resonates. And I agree with you. Put it on the wall. I like to say Dave crochet it on a pillow, but that's a big pillow. That's a big <laughs> quote. So we could take bits and pieces of it. Thank you, Dave. I'm yeah. going to circle back to Colleen. And before I ask her our usual, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? Colleen Hardwick, uh, I met you on our prep call about a week ago. Go. I was so impressed with your history and the twists and turns, and I say that with great admiration and kindness, I hope you know, the twists and turns your career path has taken and your innovative spirit. I'd love for you to give us the two-minute, I met you in an elevator, who are you and what are you all about speech, and tell us where did you come from, how did you start as an entrepreneur, and what places has your, your uh, shall we say, your, your zest for life and perhaps your chutzpah taken you in terms of creating companies? So, Colleen, let's do a little special focus on Colleen Hardwick. Go ahead. Well, thanks. Um, I'm in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, Canada, which is my hometown. And I grew up the daughter of uh, a university professor, geography professor at the University of British Columbia, who was also uh, a local politician and uh, really a great mind. His name was Walter Hardwick. And growing up in, in our family, we were encouraged to be in, innovative thinkers. And I sort of ended up being the ringleader of the family, I think, being the eldest, whether I liked it or not. So I think that that uh, environment growing up really set the stage. Uh, I think I was 10 years old when my dad was first elected to city council. And there's no question that that kind of upbringing has an impact on you. So I followed in the footsteps of my dad. I, I did undergraduate degrees, double major in geography and political science, and then my urban planning degree. But then they shot a movie in our house, an HBO picture, back in mm. the, the mid-'80s. And I just fell in love. I, I thought it looked way more fun planning movies than my first job in the, in the property development business was writing development permit applications for underground parking garages. <laughs> so let me think about this. Parking garages or movies, what would you do? So uh, I ended up becoming a location manager initially in the film business because I knew how to draw maps, I think, and I knew my way around City Hall. And I quickly ascended the ranks uh, from production to production manager and then discovered that there were no studios up in Vancouver. Uh, we were just, uh, you know, sort of on the receiving end of, of some productions that were coming up here to shoot. So I started my own company since there wasn't one. And over the 90s, my company became one of the most prolific production companies here in, in Vancouver. Uh, mm. I sold that company in 2000 and then uh, moved more into the finance and distribution end of things and away from production. And in doing that, I happened upon the digital realm. Everything was moving online, um, and we were starting to see the emergence uh, of things like YouTube and the whole business models that had been in the film industry and television industry were being disrupted. So uh, along the lines, in about 2006, I developed uh, an online platform called MovieSet for uh, bringing production online in, in a cloud-based enterprise way, but it had the unique uh, ability to spill content over to the fan side, to the consumer side, with the idea that you would build... Um, 
you'd build audience over the life cycle of, of motion picture or television production. And mm-hmm. I won the Marshall McLuhan Award in 2006 for um, new me- what was called the New Media Innovation. And uh, from there, I learned how to develop uh, Internet technology. I learned about venture capital uh, just in time to get caught in the crash in 2008 and suffered mm-hmm. through 2009-2010 like many others. Uh, and then when I was considering what I wanted to do next, I... I thought about circling back to my urban geography and property development roots, and I was very interested in transit-centered development here in Vancouver, so set out to to try and and go down that path, but uh, quickly found that there were obstacles in my way, specifically uh, public opinion along a rail corridor and being able to prove that that uh, what public opinion was within those geographical areas. So I looked for a, a way to consult with people online within specific boundaries, and since I couldn't find one, set out to invent one. And uh, as I developed that, I took the concept to the city, and the city said, if you will t- uh, build it, we will test it. And from there, I took that to the National Research Council of Canada, who initially got on board for technology develop, uh, uh, validation and development. And we've now completed five R&D projects uh, as we've moved this whole pioneering concept forward. So if I was to, to sort of tie that all up in a bow... Um, my entrepreneurship has really been the response to problem solving, creative problem solving, and then you know figuring it out and then persisting uh, until bringing it into being, if that makes sense. It, it does. And Colleen, I'm so happy you gave the overview. My question for you is, I, I think it's fair to call you a serial entrepreneur. I hope that's okay with you. Does it get easier? Every time you have a new idea, that light bulb, I was talking about a light bulb company, yeah. well, that, that mental light bulb, that energy light bulb, every time it goes off and you say, wow, I want to start another company, I want to explore another platform, I want to do another pioneering, wonderful something that I think is a good product market fit, uh, do you ever say, nah, that's enough? I'm looking for some inspiration for our startup uh, entrepreneurs who are listening, Colleen. Do you ever say, that's enough, you did 12 companies already in, in 12 and a half years, or do you say, Say, yes, Colleen, I can do it. Let's go for it. How do you decide when it's time to create something new, Colleen? It, it, it comes from the heart. Um, I had a, have had passion for everything that I've set out to do, and um, I have a passion for problem solving. Um, and I, I guess, again, going back to the way I was raised, I, I have the I, I have confidence in my ability, but every step of the way I've, I've had to learn new skills. And if, one of the things, uh, Steve Jobs once said, you know, you can't look into the future, but you can connect the dots backwards in his mm-hmm. famous Stanford address. I, I really believe that's true. I can look and connect the dots backwards of how I got to the place that I am now. And knowing that gives me greater confidence as I move forward. Innovation is a challenge. There is no question about it. Um, but you can build the best innovation in the world if you aren't able to communicate it to other people uh, through your, your passion and commitment. You, you will really struggle. And I'm not saying, I mean, being an entrepreneur is a struggle every day. You've got to get up every morning with a smile on your face and, and go out there and, and do it. And it's challenging. But you wouldn't be able to do it if, if you didn't believe, and it, it, that's why I say it, it all starts from the heart. 
Well, I was, thought you were going to burst into song there for a second. You got to get up every morning and show the world all the love in your heart. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I actually thought you were going to break out into that. Dave, were you going to sing along with us, Dave Katona? Come on, admit it. Maybe hum. <laughs> Thank you very much. I try not to sing. I never ask permission on the radio, but I always ask for forgiveness afterwards. Colleen, just just fascinating. I marvel at the energy, and, and you're just... There's something new, and I think I know what it is, and I'm going to go out and do it. Colleen, just one more question. Do you have a team that follows you from company to company? In other words, I've heard uh, we've talked about mentoring, and we've talked about having your own personal slash professional board of directors when we talk to uh, some of our HR experts in terms of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. And my question for you is, do you have the same group of high-energy people who follow you? I'm not talking about the investors, but advisors or colleagues who you say, okay, let's go out to dinner on Friday night. I have another idea for another company. Is it the same group, or do you collect people as you go along? Well, it's uh, both. It, and okay. I don't know that I go out for dinner, but the chairman of the board of my mm-hmm. Uh, uh, current company, Playspeak, was an investor on the board of, of MovieSet. Um, he's a venture capitalist with a firm called Discovery Capital. Um, my lawyer is uh, at Faskin Martineau is the same, the, and this is someone that I've known since high school. So the, there's deep connections in that way. But I do think it's kind of profound that even though we got caught in the crash and in uh, 2008, 20, 2009, that we persist again in, in our relationship within in the new company. But what I've also done, um, again, probably because of my background growing up in a university, is that I've I've tried to cultivate uh, university students. I've had a lot of, of kids come through with get youth working programs. They're wage subsidies, so they're it's a good strategy for for startups and extending out your one way, but it's also been a, a terrific way for me to identify talent. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I started PlaySpeak back in the summer of, of 2011, just prototyping, I went out, I got a couple of graduate student internships through a program called MyTax, and I got three undergraduate students in, in uh, some get youth working kind of programs. And the um, the young guy that I hired to be doing bookkeeping that was doing his business courses is still with me. Um, and he's, he's, you know, completed his education and his professional certification. And uh, I'm, you know, really happy to have that continuity. And I, I still have a lot of uh, connections back to the people that worked with me in previous companies because we're like family. And then finally, just on the in- investor side, though, mm-hmm. when I started PlaySpeak, I tithed 10% of the shares uh, in, in the new company that I was creating uh, to the people that had invested in my previous company. And uh, I thought that was just an important way of, of rewarding, I hope, rewarding the people that mm-hmm. had supported me in the past so that I could carry it into the future, uh, which is just good karma, I think. It's wonderful, Karma. I'm absolutely fascinated. Dave, we don't usually spend this much time focusing on your guest, but I think it's well worth the, the life lessons we're learning from Colleen. Do you agree, Dave? And do you have but, any uh, questions Co- you want to ask Colleen? Colleen has just such an amazing background, and uh, uh, she's just a, such a fascinating person. Uh, and that's why uh, I think she's such a valued uh, uh, partner and, and person that I, I work with. Uh, and, 
that uh, you know there are a lot lots of uh, great advice uh, that she could offer not only me but uh, a lot of our other startup partners as well. Uh, yeah. Do you have any questions you want journey. to ask Colleen, Dave? Anything you want to ask her, or anything you want her to bring out in her background before we move on? I'm I'm just thrilled to have her here, Dave. Yeah, well, this gets down to Colleen. You know, starting uh, you know, Play Speak uh, based on your background. This gets down to just the difference between the challenges that you had faced in in your previous venture to what you're facing today, and being in such a different business. Of what what is the what is the biggest challenge you you, you, you face today that you didn't anticipate? That you faced in, in in your previous you know industry career, because they were both new businesses, mm-hmm. uh, right? They were both you know what I call uncharted territory. And what was well, the one was in the pro- was uh, the customers were really in the private. Both were two sided markets. I should say that up front. Both MovieSet and now PlaySpeak are two-sided markets, meaning that in the case of PlaySpeak, we've got participants who are, are citizen users, consumers, uh, however you want to characterize them, and the other hand are largely public sector clients. So it's governments at all levels, all departments, regulatory agencies, and, and the private sector to the extent that they interact with the public sector for getting approvals on things like real estate developments or resource developments. So um, the, the two sides on, on in the second side on, on uh, PlaySpeak is the public sector. With MovieSet, it was the private sector. We were out selling, uh, again, we had the consumers that love movies and want to track their progress while they were being made, but the, it was the film companies, the, which are private sector companies, that were the ones that uh, were the customers. And so I, I would say that that was the largest difference in my experience there um, because the private sector tends to be... Uh, faster to adopt innovation than the, the public sector. And I think that is going to be part of our ongoing discussion here uh, in respect to the to government role in, in start, startup ecosystems. I heartily agree. Thank you both. Very, very interesting. Colleen, we'll, we'll be doing bits and pieces of your – I have one question for you. First, I'm going to ask you, we know you're in Canada. I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup today, or what would you rather be drinking that makes you smile? But my third question, which I don't remember the last time I asked a panelist this, is do you ever sleep? Because I know you're continuing work toward a Ph.D. and applied innovation at UBC. Do you sleep, Colleen? Is, it, is there a secret for being that active and that successful and still getting some rest? How do you do it? Well, I try to get um, out of town uh, at least once a month, I have a cabin on a place called Keats Island, which is in Howe Sound, just up the coast here, and that's where um, I go to to rest and recharge my batteries. So I think it is important to to get out and to get wind in your sails. You know, I, I love getting out on my boat and getting out on the water and getting out in the woods. Uh, and then in terms of day to day, yes, you absolutely need to be able to sleep. And I have uh, you know various techniques that I use to, to uh, help my meditative state and to, to stay there because you, you need to be able to refresh yourself so that you can get up every morning um, and, and take on the world because it's, it's not easy and you have to have, uh, 
you know, for me, it's it's tied into my my faith and and my worldview. Thank you very much. And what is in your cup today, or what would you rather be drinking, Colleen? Let's hear a little bit of up close and personal. <laughs> well, what when, gets when you we going? We talked about that. You know, I was thinking I um, I have uh, a big uh, Irish component in my family, and I was thinking about the first time uh, I went to Ireland as a grown up, which was back in 1994, and I uh, I had Guinness for the first time, and I I love Guinness, but what what I learned was in Ireland, it was served at room temperature. And there was a real art and science to the way that they served Guinness. Um, well, fast forward, years later, when I went back to Ireland, and certainly over here, they were refrigerating and serving it cold, mm. which I thought was really weird. Um, so whenever I have, uh, whenever I think about unusual drink stories, I think about the, the legacy of Guinness and how uh, modern uh, North American Western ways of doing things, i.e. refrigeration, changed the way that a traditional beverage like Guinness in Ireland uh, was served. And now nobody even thinks about having it at room temperature anymore. Very interesting. You know, when you think of beer in the U.S., you think, let's have a cold one. <laughs> that's yeah. my best, that's my best macho testosterone infused voice. That's about, let's have a cold one, boys. And so you think a beer has to be cold. Oh, no, it's warm. I don't want to drink it. Very interesting. Thank you, Colleen. Dave, you're up next. Where are you calling from today? And what are you drinking? Or what would you rather be drinking, Dave Katona? I'm sitting in lovely, sunny Palo Alto, California, as usual. And uh, I would, I, I am actually sipping a, a lovely Silicon Valley Coke Zero today, but I would very much rather be drinking uh, a uh, glass of Justin Justification, which is a local California uh, Bordeaux-style wine uh, uh, from a winery just about 60 miles south of me in uh, Paso Robles, California, uh, that I had over the weekend with some friends. Sounds delicious. I'm going to thank you for not having that while we're on the air because I know it's 12:30 here in New York. It's 9:30 in the morning there. It'll have to wait for that. It'll have to wait, although we have had some some guests putting something strong in their coffee when they're on the air. I love the way you said you're having a Silicon Valley Coke Zero. I want to know, is it bottled there or is there something in the water where they make it that's different from a Manhattan Coke Zero, Dave? No, it's it's just been a, a long-standing tradition. I I uh I, I was literally uh, raised on it uh, in a lot of startups, uh, a lot of caffeine. And it, now it's grown to uh, uh, the uh, espressos, lattes, um, but uh, back in the uh, Silicon Valley startup days, uh, a lot of folks, uh, a, lot of, a lot of engineers drank a lot of Diet Coke um, there you go. before Thanks. they would put the espresso machines in because <laughs> it was cheap and easy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I have a couple of six-packs here. Uh, not me. I have a couple of six-packs of old-fashioned Coca-Cola bottles. We had a guest from uh, the, the Coca-Cola company on about two years ago, and she sent me a six-pack, and it was a red Christmas box. Colleen, you remember that? And the green glass bottles? They were yeah. a little smaller than I remember. But, yes, I, I'm preserving it as vintage. I haven't touched it. I don't know what it tastes like anymore. Uh, Dave knows this. Colleen doesn't. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show today. Days. today <laughs> Tuesday is a doubleheader. This is 
my second show. The first one was at 10. This one is at 12, and it's a busy day, so I can't go near caffeine. But I'm going to treat myself to a probably a latte or an espresso a little bit later during the day. We're talking today with uh, Colleen Hardwick. We're so pleased to have her. She is the CEO and founder of PlaySpeak and Movie Set and all kinds of interesting companies. She is a nonstop serial entrepreneur who keeps thinking up new ideas and making them happen. The best kind of entrepreneur and inspiration indeed. And we're talking also to Dave Katona at the SAP Startup Focus Program. Our topic today, interesting, is beyond tax incentives, governments and startup ecosystems. Let me just read you a little bit of uh, the mantra or the six step not a 12-step program, kids, a six-step program for building a sustainable startup ecosystem. Then we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll start with our roundtable in earnest. We've really been dipping our toe in the roundtable already. Number one, start with a collaborative mentality. No man, no, no woman, no startup is an island. Start with a collaborative mentality. Number two, map your local market. What do they want? What do they need? Are they ready? Number three, gather your network. We'll talk about that one. Number four, work with government. Colleen will help us with that one. Number five, this is a tough one, stay honest. I think that also means stay true to what your mantra is and what your company is all about. And number six, don't complain about a lack of local venture capital. So we're going to talk in depth about a sustainable startup ecosystem. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thrilled to be here on Startup Focus with Game Changers Radio for keeping track. This is season three, although season one was about four years ago, and there were 20 episodes in that one. This is season three, officially episode four. We are live. It's March 28, 2017, here on the World Talk Radio Business Channel. So we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Kevin out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Here we are with Colleen Hardwick, the founder and CEO of Place Speak, P-L-A-C-E-S-P-E-A-K, and Dave Katona at SAP Startup Focus Program. Our topic is Beyond Tax Incentives, Governments and Startup Ecosystems. We're going to kick off our roundtable for real right now with some statements Colleen sent me in her notes before the show, and let's start here. Pilot projects within government agencies can pave the way to customer traction. She adds, shifting the paradigm with disruptive technology changes the status quo, which is problematic when your customers are in government or the public sector. So, Colleen, let's talk about pilot projects. Good, bad, ugly. What do you suggest? Well, I think it's uh, dealing with the public sector, I believe it's essential. you know, and as I'll, I'll, you'll hear me echo this through our conversation is that there's ter- terrific support, uh, I think out there to, uh, to get startups started. Um, you know, on the, so I would say the supply side, meaning that, that there's funds and, and, um, facilities available to support people. But what, sh- what we're shy on is the demand side, and that is putting it into practice within government. And that's where pilot projects come in. So um, I was fortunate with, with PlaySpeak that when I was working on, on the idea of location-based public consultation, the city of Vancouver um, said, well, if you build it, we will test it. So we were able mm-hmm. to do a series of pilots just using the prototype, which helped us uh, you know, test it out. There was no money involved. Um, it was, uh, but what it did do was, was give it a shot in the arm for getting it out and, and starting market testing. And if we hadn't done that, I, I don't think we would have been able to get anywhere. It was that ability to, to pilot it, to show that it had value that led us uh, to what our, our next objective was, which was to get early revenue traction. Uh, because we needed to show, especially for me having come out of the crash in 2008, I wanted to make sure that we were able to demonstrate that we could get to revenue as quickly as possible. And the, the fact that we'd gone through, you know, even it was only four months initially, the, the pilots that we did roughly from May to August of 2011, just on a very simple prototype, but it proved out the thesis sufficiently that we were able to move forward. So for that reason, I, I'm a big fan of pilot projects. Thank you very much. Dave Katona, love your POV on this. Agree, disagree? I, I absolutely agree. And this gets down to, uh, you know, one of the uh, programs uh, that Startup Focus was actually engaged with uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area was the city of San Francisco actually launched what they call the STIR program, Startup in Residence program, where uh, Colleen had to do this on her own with the city of Vancouver. Uh, city of San Francisco actually founded uh, the Startup and Residence Program offering multiple departments to do a public-private partnership with very early-stage startups to solve problems for the city in innovative ways with these early-stage startups and literally put out almost like a startup type of RFP saying if you can come up with an innovative way to, you know, basically solve this problem with your software, uh, we will essentially make that investment and purchase it. 
And so they would literally say, hey, you know, whether it was with, uh, you know, health and human services or solve a homeless problem or solve problems around scheduling parks around the city. Um, you know, uh, one uh, actually did a project specifically around uh, leasing and procuring vehicles across uh, a county, for example, and working with these company, uh, software companies, and it would literally announce the winner, and uh, to, to your point, Colleen, was literally doing these pilot projects rapidly um, to prove out the concept and really drive that innovation quickly, where typically in a traditional method, you go through this whole long RFP process that could take, you know, you know, literally years before something would get approved. And they were really pushing for that innovation quickly to solve problems. And I, I've seen things like that work. And those, are, those pilot programs are so important to really drive that innovation. Thank you, Dave. Colleen, anything you want to add to that before I pick well, up I a just, topic? You know, I think yeah. about things like um, hackathons, which have become very popular. Um, there was a hackathon a number of years ago uh, using open data here. And um, out of that, there was uh, a guy that came up with the idea of building an app that tells you when to take out the garbage. Uh, it sounds really simple. Why didn't someone do that before? But um, what this hadn't come about because the city had initiated a, um, a pilot project and they wanted to solve the problem of how to tell people to take out their garbage. Uh, this guy came up with it himself. And as a result, they built an app that, that you know, some, some cities they have, like Vancouver is an example, they garbage day might have uh, on alternating changing days and there might be the recycling or the green bin. So it, 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 it's become a bit more complicated. But they built this app and it's called Recollect and it works. And as a result, they were then able to take that and market it to other cities. So the point that I'm trying to get at here, there's two points. One is that that uh, the city doesn't necessarily know what they need. This brings me back to the Henry Ford quote, because it's going to be the entrepreneur and the, and the person that, that's thinking outside of the box that's going to see those opportunities, number one. And number two is that um, if you're able to create something that's, val- that's valuable, then it's going to be reusable. So in the Recollect mm-hmm. example, they've now been able to market that to cities across North America very effectively. So I would question, what, what is it necessary to have every single city government do a pilot or do some kind of, of hackathon to come up with the same solution? Or once something's created, then it should be given the opportunity to scale. And those are things that uh, I think also have to be taken into consideration when we consider uh, government involvement in the whole startup ecosystem. Very interesting. Sounds like collaboration, communicate, and sharing would be the mantras for that, Colleen, is don't keep it to yourself and don't say it's just ours, but get the word out there and be open to bringing in innovations from other municipalities. Is that, well, am I on the right track yeah, there? Yeah, well, governments, they tend to be siloed thinkers. 
Mm-hmm. They, they tend to, to, you know, they want to keep it all within their own construct, within their own organization. And the world's just not working that way anymore, and the web's certainly not working that way. And as, if we're, as we're developing uh, technology, we need it to scale. We don't have to recreate the wheel over and over and over again just because somebody else wants to have a hackathon. So that's the one thing that, that uh, you know, I, I've seen as a challenge. We get into these, you know, kind of, of uh, fads of having hackathons or having these kinds of, of uh, programs where we're, we're encouraging startups, but sometimes we're doing it to the detriment of uh, the ability of, of uh, products that have, are in the process of being developed to be able to scale. So that's a cautionary note. Does it work both ways where a local government would say not invented here, we have to say that we invented it so we don't want your damn innovation? Does it go that way too sometimes? Well, it's not just local governments. I'd say that this this plays itself up in the senior levels of government as well. You'll see them, you know, uh, there'll be bureaucrats that are characterizing themselves as, as uh, startup founders, for example, and I've seen that on more than one occasion. Um, but they're they're playing startup founder with the public purse without the the risk inherent in entrepreneurship. So that does exist, and uh, we should be aware of that and put it into context. Thank you very much, Dave Katona. I'm looking at your notes here, and you have a cautionary note to the public sector, saying, "I think you've forgotten some of your key charters about serving the public." You want to just give us a brief overview of this, Dave? What's wrong? Oh yes. Oh I'm yes. Very opinionated. <laughs> very opinionated about that. Where uh, it, it comes down to, um, and again, lo- looking at um, the fact, and when when uh, Colleen mentions the word silos, where I look at a, a couple of different silos, uh, silos within uh, the government, and and I'll bring up cities specifically. Uh, silos within uh, the cities or counties themselves. Silos within departments and my my wife actually works for a school district and within the school district each department even within each school they are siloed and within each role within that school district and so whether you're working in transportation or you're a teacher there are there are silos within that and within city government you know county state government um, we we tend to forget sometimes, and and she she uses this mantra all the time. Who is our customer? And within the school district, you know, they have the they do have this mantra that, that they say our customer is actually the child, and the parent, and the uh, government tends to forget of like who the customer really is. Who are they really serving? And then you need to align around that. What is your goal? What is the goal of your department? Who do you really serve? And then you focus on the problem, just like any company would do. And so you may not actually be able to operate like a company, but you need to focus on who is the customer and who are you really serving. Um, and, and start with trying to solve those problems first, focused on that end goal to serve the, you know, that end customer. And each department may have a different slant and view on who that customer really is. But uh, I, I see, you know, uh, constantly, certainly in, in where I live, 
that we, we sometimes I see our, our, our governments forgetting that and getting too political, too siloed, too wrapped up into, you know, budgets and politics and stifling innovation um, in, in that regard and really causing themselves to lag behind, um, you know, other, uh, I'll call it industries in general because of thank, that. Thank you, Dave. Colleen, do you observe the same thing? Mm-hmm. That, in that case, I think Dave nailed it. Um, it's interesting to think about the customer relationship. Um, I, I recently, just in the last few days, I saw the comment that the, the, the public are not our customers, they're our board of directors. Um, and I thought that was an interesting observation because even though we may be dealing with, with civil servants or, or you know, staff bureaucrats, uh, ultimately we are part of a democratic process and we elect our representatives to represent us. So, um, you know, just thinking of pe- as, uh, and this is uniquely within a public sector context, thinking of the public as just as customers, I think, is, is underselling the relationship. Thank you, well, Colleen. Oh, agreed. Oh, yeah. I want to try and cover a couple more topics before we go to our crystal ball, which is happening in about four minutes. Let's see how fast we can do these. Uh, one comment from Colleen. Incubator spaces have limited practical value. Think about all of the famous startups that started in basements and garages and probably cars as well, the backs of vans. I'm going to leave that one on the table. We all know who we're talking about. Uh, this one I'd like, like you to tackle quickly, Colleen, please. You say thought leadership, including academic scholarship, white papers, and case studies can go a long way toward advancing startups with the support of government and academia. What's the value here, Colleen? Oh, well, again, I feel very strongly this way. Um, the, the whole research and development area is, you know, largely infused with academia and scholarship, if, whether that's on the computer science side or it's, it's more on the, um, the end user side, um, you know, in our case, we were, I, what we've done is, is part computer science, part GIS, which is in, in geography, but its applications are, are, are through political science um, because of democratic processes, uh, but we're also working within the area of community and regional planning, uh, and then ultimately through the business end of things. Uh, and so, there are areas or touch points of scholarship that are germane in every aspect of what we do. And if we can communicate that in a scholarly way, I think it, it really does a lot to establish the gravitas behind mm-hmm. what you're doing. You're not just building some app. You're doing something that has uh, solid credentials behind it through the lens of, of academia and research and development. So Thank I, I personally think that distinguishes it from distinguishes what you're doing and, and is important. I, I agree. And I want to cover on, Dave, just bear with me. I want to cover two points in my opening. Dave, your team sent me the list of six ways to apply bottom, bottom-up mentality to build a sustainable startup ecosystem. I mentioned collaborative mentality, map the local market, gather your network, work with government. Number five, Colleen, I'd love to get a, a one-sentence comment on this. We're literally almost out of time. Stay honest. 
What does stay honest mean? Stay true to yourself, stay honest with what you're really, really creating. What's a stay honest remark you would say, Colleen? Whatever you can do or dream, you can begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And so staying true is, is staying true to that central vision. That doesn't mean you can't pivot. That doesn't mean that you can't respond to customers. You must. But it has to um, come from your center and what you believe. Thank you. And the last one I'm going to ask you to comment on is don't complain about a lack of local venture capital. So if it's not local, where is it coming from? Well, I, and again, I've, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with venture capital. Um, PlaySpeak has been built through bootstrapping R&D grants and uh, seed capital to date. And uh, part of that has been because I knew we were dealing with the public sector and the sales cycles are much longer and also because what we were doing involved a behavioral change. And so um, where startups are, are in, in communities that might not have a lot of venture capital, I would encourage them to be creative in the way that they're funding themselves. Get to early revenue, bootstrap. Get, do something that, that is worthy of R&D support through grant programs. Extend out your runway with, with wage subsidy programs. Do everything you can get to the point where you're at break even so that when you um, want to go out for venture capital, you're in a position of strength. And uh, then, you, then uh, it's going to be a lot easier for you, and, and hopefully the venture capital will find you. Ah, that's the trick. Let it find you. Thank you very much. You know what? We are already in our crystal ball predictions round, but because there are just two of you, I can still give you 90 seconds for your predictions. So, Colleen Hardwick, I'm going to go with you first, and thank you for so much, Colleen, for sharing your wisdom and your your thoughts and your magic of genius. I'm going to put that label on it. I hope you accept that uh, with us. Really, really appreciate it. So, Colleen, let's look at the year 2020, if you don't mind, or anytime you seek through the lens of your vast experience and energy and vision and the world of place speak what will be different about this conversation about startup ecosystems 90 seconds colleen hardwick go startup ecosystems will be embracing uh the public and private sectors uh in a in a more integrated way um, we're already seeing greater pushes within government to be run like business. I've just heard that on several fronts today. So my suspicion is that we'll see greater integration between the public and private sector with respect to innovation and startup ecosystems. Thank you very much. I think there's good hope at the end of that tunnel. I see a lot of light. Dave Katona, I have a whole 90 seconds. Dave, you could actually use 90 seconds for a prediction. I dare you. Go ahead. Great, and, and to, to play off of what uh, Colleen just mentioned, as I've seen the success with, uh, for example, the, the uh, startup and residence program that the city of San Francisco started that has recently grown to three cities, and now they're looking at rolling it out nationally, as well as I just presented to the Minister of uh, IT and Communications of Turkey. Uh, they want to do a, uh, an incubator. We have an incubator uh, that's actually uh, funded uh, by the government in Brazil. I'm seeing a lot more uh, innovation driven through uh, local, regional, and you know national governments. And uh, to echo what Colleen say, 
um, they it's it's no longer a, a, a nice to have. I think it's going to be a must have uh, for uh, the, the the public sector to change business as usual uh, because the world is is changing very quickly and they need to keep up with that change. Thank you, Dave. I want to do a shout-out to our tweeters. We had a nice Twitter party going here at Hashtag SAP Radio. I see Energy Coin. Shout-out to you. Of course, Colleen, your Place Speak people were tweeting and listening. And we have Smart City Feed. Glad you're on board. And we have another one. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. A-P-P-L-T-Y Snacks. Applety Snacks. Whoever you are, thank you for tweeting. We really appreciate that <laughs> and the retweets. And Colleen and Dave, I know you'll catch up. A shout-out to Christina Sosa, one of the co sponsors of the series who couldn't be with us today. Colleen, uh, Colleen, thank you so much. Dave, thank you so much. And Christina, you really rock this one, kid. Dave, what's coming up on the next episode in three weeks? Do you know? Yes, faster, yes or no? Hmm? That's, that's a very good question. I, I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, that's fine. We're out of time. We yep. will talk to you. I'll let everybody know through our promo here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to all of our panelists and to Kevin, our, Kevin Gaspin, our engineer at World Talk Radio. And shout out to Manju Bunzal also at SAP who sponsors this series. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting? I wonder if my, my seatbelt will have AI in it. If a chatbot, it'll say, Bonnie, shouldn't have had that extra milkshake last night, but I digress. Fasten your seatbelt. And I'll say, will you fasten it for me, damn it. What are you waiting for? Be like Colleen Hardwick and Dave Katona. Go out and be a game changer today. That's an order. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're talking blockchain and demonetization in governments like India and all over the world. What happens to those big bills when you can't use them anymore? Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.